This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEN. Yes, that's right. Welcome back to another episode of Sporting Max, brought to you by Bastion GRP. For all your specialist needs in recruiting, engineering, and defense, go to bastiongrp.com. Now, today on Sporting Max, we have one of the hottest prospects, and I truly mean this, on the NBL free agency market currently joining us after a massive season where the Taipans climbed from the bottom of the ladder to NBL finals and the semis. Now, he's an absolute star, Ben Air. It's an absolute honour to have you on once again in studio here in Melbourne. What's going on? Not a lot, Maxie. Thanks for having me, mate. Amazing studio. Um, and yeah, you're killing it, man. Just keep stepping up. So happy to be here and happy to have a chat. No worries. Thanks so much. Now, I saw you went to the Air Movie premiere the other night. Is that right? Yeah, I did. Hold on one second. From the get-go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I did. I went with um, I went with Jono, Jono yeah, Hanson. Yes, but yeah. yeah, who um, who's been training me a little bit here and there. Um, yeah, it was it was awesome, man. It was an awesome movie. Um, and yeah, it was a cool event by the NBL. So, I mean, why not, right? I mean, off season down here in Melbourne. You were, so. were you the only player at that I premiere? Think, uh, yeah, I think I was. Yeah, I think I was. Because then I'm like. I'm like, is Ben the only player there? <laughs> I'm like, I actually didn't get invited at all. Really? No, nah, it was through, um, they invited Jono. Yeah. And then uh, Jono just asked me to come with him. So <laughs> I was actually a plus one. I wasn't invited. Yeah. So there you go. Now, obviously back in Melbourne for mm. a few months before obviously scouting and op- testing out the free agency market mm. at the moment, What I want to get into the back end of that season and the start of, Sorry, back end of NBL 22, start of NBL 23, obviously being close to the bottom of the ladder. What was that like? And Adam Ford seems like a great bloke who yeah. um, knows how to rally the troops heading into a season. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, it was funny. Like, twenty NBL 22, for me, like, I was pretty distant. I wasn't distant from the team, but um, obviously being a training player, um, like, I'm around the guys every day at training and, yeah. so, and, and whatnot, but, as you know, they travel. I'm staying back in Cairns. So there's a lot of things you miss here and there. And even when they were playing games, you know, I wasn't sitting on the bench. Mm. I was just in a polo shirt, like, in the in the back. In the back row. In the back alley. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was, um, yeah, I was out the back. So, you know, I was, I was a little bit distant from the team, but um, so I probably didn't feel the wins and losses as much as, as the group did. Um but obviously towards the end of the year started playing and, and really for me it was just like a, a massive opportunity. Obviously we've talked about it a little bit before, but um, yeah, even then, you know, feeling the wins and losses for me wasn't a huge thing because I don't mm-hmm. think we could have, by the time I started playing, we couldn't make finals. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, I was just kind of going out and balling just like free conscious and just... Well, you talk about that, o- you talk about, <laughs> you talk about that opportunity yeah. and I think it was the game at John Kane Arena against Melbourne United where everyone was blown off their seats. They're like, oh, my goodness, Ben Ayers arrived. And um, I think if you know basketball, you've scouted you, you know that that's what you can produce and you just showed everyone what you can do. I think the stats said it was yourself, Bryce Cotton, and one other player Jaylen. only that whole season who had the stats that you had that night. Yeah, Jalen Adams Yeah, from, from Sydney. What? So, um, yeah, 2010. Um, no, that, yeah, that was a great game, man. It was obviously uh, a huge confidence booster for me. Um, I think I'd had a couple games before that, like not numbers-wise that were crazy, but obviously I was starting and um, I was really starting to get a feel for the game and the pace Mm -hmm. um, and the rhythm and and the different guys I was playing with, felt comfortable shooting the ball. The game before that, we actually went down and played in Perth. Um, I didn't have a great second half, but the first half was the first time I'd ever felt 
like truly comfortable in that position and in this league. And um, I mean, like you get a lot of confidence going against Bryce if you can, like if you can get a bucket on him or if you can stop him one possession. You know, you, get, you can gain a lot of confidence from that. Him being obviously the best player of the last, probably the best of the decade, I guess. Um, so yeah, there, I, there was a few games leading up to that United one that probably no one really noticed. Obviously, us being on the bottom of the ladder. And, mm-hmm. and no one really knows. It doesn't really get spoken about. Yeah, and yep. no one knowing who I am, you know, so yep. um, didn't really get talked about. But there was there was a lead up to that game and then um, just being from Melbourne, man, family in the crowd. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. It's just everything kind of aligned that game and um, played a lot of minutes and, yeah, had a bit of trash talk with, with some other guys on the other team. So that kind of got me going as well. Um, and, yeah, I was able to put that game together. Now there's a sense in the league we had the semi-finals clash this year of possibly the two biggest trash talkers in the <laughs> league, and that's between yourself and Sean Bruce. Yeah. You two were uh, going at it a bit in a few games. Mm-hmm. What was um, what was that like? Yeah, it was good, man. It's fun. I love trash talking. You know, it's, I think it's a part of the game. Um, there's definitely lines that can be crossed, but I try to stay away from that and just um, you know keep it pretty witty, keep it trying, keep it as funny as possible, but obviously serious, like. End of the day, for me, trash talk doesn't really distract me from from the game and the, and the game that I'm what I'm trying to focus on. I can kind of talk trash and concentrate on my role during the game. Whereas, I think some of the guys that I target or try and go against necessarily can't do that. So while I'm not worrying about what's going on with us trash talking, I kind of hope that they're worried about. You know, they're like, "Oh, you just told me this or told me that." And now, like someone like uh, like Derek Walton, for example, in that series, like. I was just trying to get him to concentrate on me versus concentrating on any other blokes or running their team and and trying to score and stuff like that. So that's really the aim of it. And um, yeah, Bruce is good too, man. Bruce is pretty funny on the court. He keeps it pretty light as well. So yeah, we had a lot of banter. It was fun. Um, Yeah, it was real fun. We actually, he actually sent me a message after the game or after the series had finished. Um, just kind of like a respect thing, you know, just saying yeah. like, yeah. So that, that was a cool moment. But no, nah, it's it's always all, all love and, and respect between those guys. But um, yeah, I'm coming for that top spot. I've heard Bruce is the number one uh, trash, trash talk. talking. Like, he is. But I was talking to DJ Vasiljevic. I don't really know. And I, don't I, really I said know to D- I said to DJ, I'm like, is Sean Bruce the mm. number one trash talker in the league? He's like, you already know it, man. He's like. Of course he is. Yeah. Like, who, who else have you experienced, you know, a bit of trash talking? Who do you think's the number one yeah. trash talker? I think me. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, Bruce has been doing it for a long time, you know, yeah. and I haven't done it for for a long time. But, no, nah, I'm definitely putting myself up there, one. Um, who else? I mean, someone like a... Who, who is good? Does I'm, CG talk any trash on the court? Uh, is he, is I haven't heard too much from him. I had that one thing in the game, but that yeah. was more me instigating it. So I can't yeah. really say that he, you know, he's not out there just just talking trash. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, damn, I'm not really sure. It's normally me instigating it, and then I get returned from guys. So I wouldn't call. I wouldn't really say too many other guys are out there talking trash. Brucey's is definitely talking trash. Um, the quality of it. That's up for discussion. Yeah. <laughs> what about your quality of it? Is that all, is that all right? Yeah, I think compared I, to Brucey's, yeah. I think mine's good. I think mine's pretty good. I like mine. Um, I mean, Taj, from a teammate standpoint, like playing with Taj, his his is pretty good because he can just back it up. Like he's yeah, like especially at training, like he'd just be killing us, and then now he's talking trash. So it's hard to like kind of respond to that. Like if yeah. you if you're losing, but does that give you a rise as a teammate to want to be better? Yeah, for sure. Training. I mean, that's why our trainings were so good. I think. Yeah. 
um, they're just so competitive. And um, I mean, yeah, I learned a lot of trash talk from Taj too. So um, yeah, I, I'd say he's probably up there. Man, I can't think on the spot right now. I gotta. Yeah. I, I should have come prepared. <laughs> so for can, that, so can you take me inside one of Adam Ford's training sessions in NBL 23 and what that was like? Um, they were pretty similar, you know, every day, but. He, he was really good, I think, at managing, like, bodies in terms of, like, health. So if guys are sore, um, he, you know, they're still making sure they're still training and getting reps in, but maybe not to the degree of some other guys who are playing less, um, which I think th- thought was a great thing. But just really competitive, man, intense. We kind of got from the get-go. It was a good group where I don't think 40 really had to coach effort, had to coach intensity of training too well, much. Well, from the outsider's perspective, it looked like there was a mutual respect and 40 had that trust in you guys yeah definitely and um yeah he built that from day one um obviously from the guys a year before he he built some trust there and then throughout with this group it's kind of i mean i feel like everyone really bought in from day one so and like a lot of hoopers on the team a lot of guys who just want to come in and like basketball is what they want to do doesn't it's not Mm -hmm. a job it's not really a job for him so um guys would just come in and like want to compete and want to be in intense and want to talk trash and training and and then as soon as we take it off the court it's all all cool you know real sweet so i think a lot of our success was from that but i mean we played a lot like a lot of scrimmaging um a lot of shooting a lot of competitive shooting drills yeah it was awesome it was good vibes so first uh, i guess day of pre-season when you come in was there a discussion around the placing from last season and the mechanics of the team and things like that and how you guys wanted to improve yeah i mean Get off the bottom of the ladder. (laughs) That was pretty much the conversation, man. Like, was finals uh, in the in the conversation then, or was it just like, let's just try and work our way up the ladder step by step? Nah, finals. I think championship was the get go. You know, I think. um, Well, we'll pick last. We'll pick tenth by most of the uh, the experts, if you want, if that's what you want to call them. Um, And and yeah, we'll pick we'll pick tenth, we'll pick ninth. I think some guys had us, but from the get go, like. I don't think anyone really knew what DJ was about, DJ Hogue. Yeah. I don't think anyone knew how good he was going to be. Um, I Did, don't think people... What was that like when you see him rock up to the first training? Man, he's... Yeah, DJ is like... He's like an alien, bro. He's... He's like 6'8", like 240. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll hate me saying 240, but... Nah, he's like 6'8", 240, like... But can move like he's, you know, like he's my size. And, mm-hmm. and he's just like... Shoots the ball like he's got a really pretty jumper. Great guy. Quite, like, pretty quiet. But um, just goes about his business, man, and, and gets it done day in, day out. Um, like, just chill guy, easy to be around. Yeah, but, yeah, going back um, going back to that, I don't think people thought Keanu was going to be able to sustain what he did towards the end of the, the back end of 22. Mm-hmm. Um, he clearly did that. And then I think the bench mob, you know, the bench guys, I don't, I just don't think we really had, no one really knew who we were, you know. I'd, people kind of knew my name, but again, I don't think they would have thought that I could sustain or even improve on what I did the year before. Mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of questions around me in the off-season. Because um, you were sort of, the signing came late, didn't it? Yeah, it came late. It came pretty late. Um, but again, that's just like, that's just kind of how it works a little bit. And I think you just, coaches are going to do the due diligence on, um, they're going to recruit everyone they can and if there's no rush to really sign a guy they're gonna see how you do in NBL one and mm-hmm. they're gonna wait not wait but they're gonna they're gonna be watching you closely but no one's gonna ru- just jump in and make a make a decision right away so that's probably the reason why the signing came late um but yeah then again without without group man like we've got like Majuk Dang coming off the bench which is like crazy you know mm. just a guy who's been in the league for a long time great guy veteran 
can score the ball. Um, like Lat, Lat man, like that's my guy, man. He, you know, didn't play really all year at all, just DMPs after DMPs, and then comes into the playoffs and is like, you know, six, seven, pretty much our sixth man in the in shows the, up, yeah, in the playoffs and like super comfortable. But you know, he could have done that all year. You know, he's that that type of player, and no doubt he'll he'll continue to do that in his career. You know, Jonah had big game in uh, game two. Stepped up massive for us. Was that game two or game one? Game one. Game one, yeah. Game one. Um, and then yeah. Chase Buford sort of shut him down. And I think, <laughs> could you compare that in comparison to your own story um, in terms of the season prior to that? You know, if people had seen the work you'd mm. put in prior to that, not to make judgments, don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah, for sure. I didn't actually, I was a little bit out of the loop with that, uh, with Chase and Jonah, like what happened. So... I don't think it was too much, and I think from Jonah's behalf, I don't think he was really trying to make it a thing. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you know, it's, it's good for media and stuff, and like, <laughs> hypes it up, which is which is awesome. Yeah. I think, to be honest, I think we need more of that. And like yeah. in Australia, there's a bit of this, or in compared to America, you know, like Americans are whether all it's, the NBA players are on the Twitter. They're on Twitter, yeah. They're on yeah. socials. They're talking talking a lot of junk, and even other sports like uh, like UFC, for example, is probably the yep. main one where they're just like, they're hyping up fights by talking a whole bunch of junk. Yeah. Um, yep. And then you come to Australia, and it's just like, I think the smallest thing on Twitter or anything, we just... It blows up. Blows up, in a good way, but I yep. think I think we the media tries to attach to that for a good reason, to like hype the game up. But I would like to see a little bit more like players actually just buying into that and, and talking trash, whether it's on social media or in person or whatever. I think Kuat, Kuat Noy, he, um, he did it in the off-season in NBL1 when I was playing up in the north. Yeah. Just talking junk man on Instagram, like tagging, <laughs> tagging the other team in it, like we're going we're gonna to whoop your ass, this and that. Um, and, and like he kind of backed it up, or not kind of, he backed it up and he even did it a little bit, I think, in our series. Um, he, yeah, he, he put some stuff out there. But, and like Kuat's like the quietest guy, man, like super cool, super chill. In person, like nicest guy ever. Won't say too much in a game, but yeah. I think he just understands. Like he's he's a little bit a step ahead than people. Like it gets eyes, it gets attention. Um, so yeah, maybe we can see a little bit more from that. Maybe maybe I'll do it a little bit next year. Maybe in the off season this yeah. year. <laughs> <laughs> bit of NBL one. Yeah, yeah. NBL one. Just why not try it out? But yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, the Jonah the Jonah stuff was it was it was cool. It was fine. Yeah. So you guys started off round one with a 22 point win over the high flying Tassie Jack, Jack Jumpers. Everyone was high on the Jack Jumpers. They're coming forth and super low expectations of you guys. What was that like to gain some confidence heading into the season mm-hmm. and set the bar high? Yeah, it was awesome, man. I think we just you know put the league on standby like right away, and everyone was like, okay, these guys are for real. Um, we didn't just beat them by one or two. You know, we went down there and beat them by twenty. Mm. Um, and obviously to beat Tassie in Tassie is always pretty tough. Um, the crowd down there was rocking, opening night, always got sellouts down there. So, yeah, it was a big win for us. But, again, man, like we, we kind of knew that from the get-go. That wasn't a surprise for our team at all. I think it was a surprise for the league. Um, but, yeah, like for, for our team it was just like, cool, next day. Just, next just, game. Yeah, just next game, just another day really for us. Um, yeah. Now, a monstrous season personally – from yourself at times it was difficult for yourself and the team but you know obviously helping lift the Taipans through stages where you were there without Tajir McCall or Shannon Scott and um, Keanu pinned up and there was big blows in terms of are they going to make finals are they not and then you guys clinched that finals berth and was there any discomfort 
during the season um, surrounding the guys at that stage, around you guys and the core group and the bench group that had to step up in the absence of Keanu? Um, any Was there any what? Sorry. Discomfort. Discomfort? Yeah. Like, were we... Like, surrounding the chances of making finals where you might have had Shannon Scott out there for a bit. Sure. I think he did his ankle. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think discomfort. I think we there was a... We would have had one meeting throughout the year where... Because um, we'd been sitting kind of second, third, around that top for quite a while. And then there was a, there was a time... I think we dropped two in a row. And it was like, if we drop the next one, we go from like third to like seventh yeah. or something, something ridiculous. Like the, the ladder was that tight. So I, I wouldn't call it discomfort. Um, but yeah, there, there were times we had our backs against the wall, you know, we take a loss, um, then we dropped a seventh or blah, blah, blah. But I, we, we didn't really ever, we never really dropped below. By the end of each round. Out of the four, um, pretty much the whole year. But again, like that was, we kind of wanted that story anyway of like having our, I think our backs against the wall was just our our identity as a team. Like, from round one, we were told we we're going to come last. So it's like, from the get-go, our back's on against the wall, you know, and no one's expecting anything from us. And then you get to the top and you're, like, sitting around second and third, and now everyone expects us just to drop back down, you know? They're just mm. waiting for us to, all right, when are the tight, like we're, when are the tight ends going to crash down? When are they going to start losing? Blah, blah, blah. Guys go out, like Keanu goes out, and everyone's like, nah, I don't really know. Like, if they're going to be good. Specifically, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Liam. Liam Santa Maria. Yeah, I'm pretty sure yeah. he was uh, pretty low on us at that point. Um, but again, man, it was nothing <laughs> It was nothing yeah. for us. It was just like, all right, Keanu's out. So now, like, we just we just move direction. And we we focus on how we can play without him and, and what advantage we can now have with him not in the, in the team, you know. Um, obviously, he's a massive loss. But I think after that, you kind of saw DJ pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um just getting more touches naturally. We, we're going to him more. I think I started playing more minutes. Mm-hmm. I started feeling comfortable. Taj started feeling comfortable scoring the ball. Shannon was great all year, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think from day one to the last day, Shannon was just like ultimate pro. Played his role perfectly. Um, but yeah, guys stepped up. And Sammy, of course, Sammy Wardenberg. Man, he was he was, he was incredible. Yeah, incredible. And man, yeah, he's got a bright future, that kid. Yeah, absolutely. Now... What was that like for yourself? Obviously, I guess your main sort of role throughout the team for most of that seat of NBL 23 was dishing and diming and um, being an instructor and playmaker on the court. What was that like for you? It was good, man. It was, it was, uh, it was a challenge at times. Like I think I went up and down quite a bit throughout the year, but mm-hmm. just trying to stay steady, concentrate on what my role really is, um, mm-hmm. which was like, yeah, get guys involved. Uh, make sure DJ, Keanu, those couple guys are getting their touches. Um, and then just, just trying to, like, pick the culture up around the team, I think. <clears throat> like, in the locker room, be a really good locker room guy. Yeah. Come in every day. Um, whether I'm playing or not playing, make sure I get my work in. Just don't sulk, all those sorts of things. So, mm-hmm. for me, man, I was just concentrating on that. Um, and I, I knew things were going to change, whether it was play more minutes or just start playing better than what I was um, mm-hmm. at the start of the year. And, yeah, it all kind of turned around for me. So it was the first finals or semi-final series that you'd ever been a part of yeah. as a professional. <laughs> what was that like? Game one, you show up, Kudos Bank Arena, mm. and, and I the roof's blown donut. off the joint. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a fat, and I had zero. Um, That's all right. You, at least you you get a couple of assists and things like that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It was it was good. Um, yeah, it was exciting, man. I mean, especially a series. I think because I grew up watching the NBA. 
Yeah, because you just had clean sweeped them throughout the series in the regular season. Had we? Yeah, I think it was. No, we lost We lost them once. I think it was 2-1 maybe. 2-1, yeah. Kawhi yeah. yeah. cool. hit that three on the buzzer. Yeah. <laughs> Killed me. <laughs> Killed me. But, um, yeah, like watching the NBA, it's like always – playoffs is always a series. Yeah. Like I know it's seven games, which is longer than our format, but um, I think it was just exciting to the fact that you get to see a team three times in a row. You travel in between. Um, Kudos Bank is, is an amazing place to play at, like an NBA-style arena. Um, and then, man, like game two, going back to Cairns, it was like rocking, which is awesome to see. Um, it was awesome to see the convention center, just just like that many people in there and that loud, I think. A lot of people, there was a lot of hate for Sydney, which was cool. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it just makes it, you know, it makes it, it just makes the environment so much cooler to play in. Um, and then, yeah, you go back to game three again, you know, and, and travel back to Sydney, go to play in Kudos again. Um, we actually traveled after game two and game two was heated. Like, mm-hmm. I think you remember, I think, uh, yeah. Was that the game you and Brucey were going back and forth each other? Yeah, each me other? and Because I remember a scene, like, <laughs> the camera shot to you guys, and I think you've got your back to Brucey, and he's just like, <laughs> he's just like, he's, he's like a little, it was like yeah. a little woodpecker, just, yeah, he was just yeah. chirping at you back. Well, I think something happened between, I don't really, this one, this one funny enough, wasn't really. It was really, a bit of a hustle. It wasn't really me. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think I actually started it, probably, for once. <laughs> yeah. But nah, I think Angus said something to me, or... Someone, something happened. I think I might have gone to shoot a layup or a shot and someone blocked me. Someone said something and then I just wasn't really having it. So me and Angus kind of said and then Brucey just like comes out of nowhere. <laughs> and there was a few guys involved, but um, it was just chirpy the whole game, chippy the whole series, which was awesome. Um, but we actually, after that game two, we go back to the Sydney game three and mm-hmm. we were on the same plane as Sydney. As the Kings? Yeah. And like, what was, what was the, that like? The, the, seats, was the seats were kind of like mixed up a little bit. <laughs> So, like, Brucey's sitting, like, two rows in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, a few guys were sitting kind of next to each other from different teams. It was a bit, it was a bit odd, but... What was, was the environment like? Was it, like, hostile or, like, silent the whole way? Nah, it was... I mean, plane's obviously silent anyway. You, you yeah. just, like, once the plane takes off, you're in your own world, like, headphones or, yeah. or a book or something like that. Um, but, nah, nah, it wasn't, it wasn't hostile. Like, just, just, like, little head nod when you walk past a guy from the other team or something like that, just... But nah, no, nothing, nothing crazy. Like everyone, again, I think everyone's got a lot of respect for each other, and they understand. Like we're just competing in the game and in the series. So um, yeah, no, it was just funny. It was just did, funny know, it was, did you know? Did you know you were on the plane with the Kings until you got to the airport? I think yeah, I think we knew. I think we found out. Or someone told us the night before that we were flying at the same time. Um, or forty gave us a heads up. I think so. Yeah, we we knew. Yeah. Now it was so great to see the Cairns community get around you guys. You were in at the front page every newspaper. Mm-hmm. First thing you saw on TV, last thing you saw on TV in Cairns. Mm-hmm. What was that like? You mentioned it was a crazy environment to play in at the convention centre. What was yeah. that like to see the community get around you guys? Yeah, it's good, man. I think they've been like that for quite a while up in Cairns. You know, when they're, when they're having success, they really they really get around them, which is, which is awesome for that community. Um, Obviously, there's no other sport up there. I think they got the Cowboys in Townsville. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a little bit of that around. I don't know anything about rugby, so <laughs> couldn't tell you. But um, but yeah, no, it, it's it's great, man. And it's I think just like even going to get a coffee in the morning type of thing, and and people know who you are, or they're saying, you know, good luck for the game, and you can kind of create relationships with a community when it's it's still a really really big community, mm-hmm. but like you start to kind of learn some of the fans and know who they are and learn about them as as people, which is kind of weird to say, um, but um, 
yeah, it was it was awesome, man. It was awesome, and obviously for us to have success and bring success back to Cairns, it was it was awesome to be a part of that group. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Now, what are you here down in Melbourne for? Obviously, um, the <clears throat> club chose not to. That was a club option not mm. to re-sign you for NBL twenty four. So obviously, back in Melbourne, seeing family and friends and things like that. Yeah, well, yeah. Grew up in Melbourne. Um, haven't been back for like longer than a month for quite a while like I've been you know college for the four years you come back for a little bit in between and then um I went to Lithuania (laughs) for uh, for a little bit and then I was at Adelaide as a DP and then I was back for a little bit in COVID but you know COVID you're not really around people or or Mm -hmm. friends or family Mm. um and then I've been in cancer the last 12 13 months so um I got two little nieces so two little girls just trying to spend some time with with um with them uh, mum and dad, obviously, and, and brothers and sisters that I've got, or brother and two sisters. Um, so just spend time around them, school friends, and then gonna play, gonna play NBL one down here. So, um, Who are you playing with? I don't think too many people know, but I don't think it's a big, big deal that I say. So I'm playing for Sandringham. Yeah. Um, Sabres. Yep, for the Sabres, which is like a my junior club. Yeah. Um, I played there, or I played at McKinnon, but played at Sandringham for. Under 18s, yeah, and a little bit of youth league in 20s. So um, I'm living like close by. My my parents live near Sandringham. Mm-hmm. My brother lives there, so it's just easy, man. I'm just living in like a little bit of a bubble out there that way. Um, and yeah, it's just a good fit for me. Just, why not? You know, go back to the junior club, go back to the roots. Get First some training time. session with the guys was today. What was what was yeah. that like for you? Obviously, I think they've been training a little while now for NBL One South. Yeah, they've been training a little bit. Round one is this week. Yeah. Um, so I'm not I'm not playing round one or two. Um, just like rehabbing my body, just getting a bit healthier. Um, mm-hmm. Just make sure I'm 100%. I'm pretty much at 100% right now. I'm mm-hmm. um, close to, but just being cautious. Um, but yeah, training today. Training today was great. Great group of guys. Uh, a few NBL guys in there, which is awesome. A few young guys that have some really bright futures, which is great to see. Sandringham still producing guys like that. And then, um, like, still a few local guys who I knew from back in the day as well. Yep. So, yeah, it's a great group of guys, man, and I'm um, really excited. Yeah, absolutely. Now, your junior career, have you changed much as a player since, obviously, those McKinnon days? What were you like then as uh, a player compared to now? That's a good question. I've never really thought about that. But um, I think I'm pretty similar. Like, I've always been... I've always been like a bit of white line fever, mm-hmm. like a lot of trash talk <laughs> <laughs> again. Um, but play style wise, like same man, like a lot of like high pick and roll stuff. Um, got the ball in my hands a lot. Um, trying to be a leader as much as I can, keep improving on that. I think as I've gotten older, I think I've really improved my scoring ability. Mm-hmm. Been able to shoot the ball at a consistent at a consistent rate um, and consistent percentage over my career. And just like finishing, obviously I've gotten stronger since being like a little kid. I was a bit of a late bloomer um, physically, I think. So like I really didn't grow into my body up until I was probably like 22, 23, 24 even, you know. Mm -hmm. So like I'm only just coming into it now. And that's probably why like my first real game in the NBL, I was 25, you know what I mean? So that that could be a reason why. But um, yeah, man, just stronger. Can score the ball better, I'd say, from a younger age and... And um, obviously IQ and just being around different, like being around so many different guys in the NBL, just learning so much. So I'd say I'm a lot smarter as well. But overall, not too much different. Did getting that first opportunity in, you know, an actual NBL game at the age of 25 give you a great sense of appreciation for where you are? 
Yeah, man, definitely. And um, appreciation for the journey, I think. Like, you kind of think back to so many days where it's just like, this is not going to happen or, um, yeah, you just you just don't really know. You know, I've, I was in Lithuania for probably far, four or five months. Like, didn't speak a lick of that, like, of, of Lithuanian. Um, and not many people over there spoke English. So, like, a lot of, a lot of... Di- Did you have a personal translator? Nah, yeah, no. Google my phone. Google. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, just a lot of days, man, where it's like, what am I doing over here? Like, the NBL, seemed, like, it just seemed so far away for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd been in the NBL system with, with Adelaide mm-hmm. um, as a development player. I didn't get much opportunity there at all, really, to, to play. So it was just like, man, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm out of this system and maybe I'm not... Um, but yeah, and then once you eventually hit it, it's funny though because the first game I played, I was still a training player, like still yeah. unpaid, like training player. So yeah, it was amazing. But like, my goal wasn't to play a game in the NBL. Like my goal was to get a contract, have a long career, and mm-hmm. and like continually just keep building and building and building till I can be, you know, one of if not the best point guard in Australia, um, and be a starter on an NBL team. And like, so that journey is like still going. But at the same time, you have to you have to reflect and, and look back. So when I was, yeah, when I was playing that first game, it was, yeah, I think it was just gratitude for the for the journey that I'd been on, um, for the people around me and just, yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah, absolutely. So with no contract at Cairns for NBL 24, is Melbourne a place you'd be, <laughs> you'd be looking to stay? Um, yeah, I mean, of course, having family here, like I would, I would, um, it'd be cool. But I think, I think right now it's just, a lot of that stuff just ends up being out of the players' hands and I mm-hmm. just just really just trust my agent um, and all that stuff and I just have to focus on what I can focus on, which is like those goals I said before. I just got to get better each day. Just mm-hmm. um, chop wood, carry water pretty much. Um, just every day, man, just working, keep trying to get my body better, healthier, get better every day. What's the NBL1 provide? Obviously, there's that opportunity for improvement. What's mm-hmm. that like to... You know, obviously have that opportunity to be a starter. I think it averaged almost 30, 35 points a game last year. I wish. Uh, <laughs> I was averaging 30 at the start. I think I averaged 24, yeah. 23, 23, 24 last year. So um, you get that opportunity to, I guess, be a starter and have a big impact on games. Yeah, exactly. And I think you you can show just you have so much more of the ball in your hands, at least like for for a lower-level NBL guy or a guy who's trying to get into the NBL. Yeah. Um, Normally, you're probably a starter at the NBL one level, and and you're just getting reps. You know what I mean. You can you mm-hmm. can show coaches and teams what you can really do when you play a bulk of minutes. Um, and it's it's a professional league. You know, it's there's a lot of good competition. Um, so yeah, NBL one, it's it's a good step. It's not the only step, and it's not the only direction you can go to get into the NBL, but it's definitely one that that works. Mm-hmm. So obviously having that opportunity in Adelaide then headed over to Lithuania. What was <laughs> Lithuania like for you? That whole, I guess it would have been a surreal experience, I guess. It was a surreal experience, man. Um, I think just just going over there was, <laughs> it was crazy because it was the middle of COVID. So first I'm flying over there like you got the big thing, the shield thing on your face when you're flying, yeah. the mask and everything. I'm like, man, what am I doing? Did you have the big bodysuit? What am I doing? Nah, I didn't. Nah. <laughs> Thank God I didn't have the bodysuit. <laughs> but I saw groups of people flying with the bodysuit and I'm like, man, please, like, please don't put me in that thing. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's the that was just the flying compartment and then uh, component. And then um, once I actually landed 
in Lithuania. I landed in Latvia, which is the country right next to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this guy's like messaging me on this weird app that I had even no idea. He just told me to download it. And it was the coach. And he was saying that like someone was there to pick me up, like a taxi. But I thought it was going to be the club or him that was there to pick me up. Mm-hmm. So like I got across the country the border of Latvia and Lithuania to get to the hotel that I was staying at. And this random guy was just like staring at me in this taxi, basically. <laughs> puts my bag, like grabs my bags, puts it in, doesn't speak any English, but I'm like showing him my phone, like, yeah, you know, this is definitely the guy, right? This is, I'm definitely the guy. He's like, yeah, 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 this is the guy. I'm like, all right, cool. So we get in the car, there's just another random lady with me. No idea who she is, <laughs> like nothing to do with basketball, or the club or anything. And we're in like this Kia like carnival, which is like like a family car, you know, yeah. like a mum's yeah. car type thing, sports cars. I mean, a uh, soccer car, soccer mum's car. Soccer mum's car. <laughs> <laughs> there we go, I got there. And we're doing like 120 kilometers in the pitch black at like midnight <laughs> and just crossing the border of Latvia, man. Like I'm thinking this car is going to, the whole time was so intense. I look over, the lady's like asleep in the car. This guy is just like cruising, 120, just <laughs> booming it, man. Like on his phone, blah, 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 all this stuff. And it's like a two-hour drive. I was like for sure thinking I'm like, I got nothing on my phone either. No Wi-Fi, no data, So you can't even message the coach? No, nah, like, hey, I would have texted. If I could have texted, I would have probably texted my family and said, I love you guys. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's how bad it was. But anyway, we eventually made the hotel somehow. Um, I got there and then like. What time did you get there? Man, 3 a.m. But thank God I had an assistant coach waiting for me there, which um, his name was Simus. He was actually the man. I still am in contact with him a little bit today. He was the one that could speak a little bit of English and translated some stuff to me. Um, But yeah, he was waiting for me. Hotel was okay. It was just freezing, man. Like freezing all the time, dark, gloomy. Um, The league I was playing in, I had no idea about it. Um, Basically, man. So Completely different style to NBL, right? Oh, yeah, completely different style. Um, yep. Like, basketball is like religion to them over there. So they're just very faithful to like running sets. Um, uh, yeah, just running a lot of sets. Not too much fast break basketball. Not a whole lot of like this individual is scoring this many points today. Like, it's everyone's split and they change the starting lineup every game. Yeah. So sometimes you start, sometimes you come off the bench. Um, and I think the thing with overseas, at least for me, like, you're playing games, but. No one back in Australia is noticing, like, they would have no idea that you're playing a game. Like, even my family yeah. would be like, oh, you just played last night. Or, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's just like... Because the time zones are completely out of whack and things like that. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So it's just like, it's such a, like, a, just a weird thing to try and get wrap your head around. Because, like, you're playing this game that you love, but you're playing in a whole other country. No one knows you're even playing. Like, yeah. Yeah, it, it was crazy, man. But I ended up being there four or five months... Um, I definitely struggled quite a bit um, just just with like being in my room because again it was COVID over there too so mm-hmm. such like unknown times for their country just as much as our country um, like things were closed not that there was much to do in the city I was in anyway mm-hmm. um, but again that comes back I think I, I do actually credit quite a lot of that time probably to my success now that's happening just, yeah. just because I, I was able to just have so much time to myself and just really like concentrate on like one is this really what i want to do and if i do want to do it then you got to really do it like you really got to mm-hmm. buy in put your time into it um and there's really nothing else for me to do other than to go from my hotel to training come back go back to the gym later work out shoot get reps up come back shower eat and then sometimes even at night go back again and shoot you know what i mean so mm-hmm. like 
I'm just basketball all day, every day while I was over there. Whilst I was working on myself in terms of like whatever it is, like meditation stuff you can do that I was doing okay. over there. And um, yeah, it was just, I think looking back now, as much as I hated the time, probably wouldn't be where I am without it. Mm-hmm. Is mindfulness and meditation a big thing of players' curriculums and daily activities now? Uh, yeah, I think so. I can't talk for too many. Um, I can't talk for too many players around there, but some guys close to me that I know um, practice practice certain meditation. And um, but I think it's just each to their own. Like for me, I'm do, I do it daily. Yeah. Whether it's in the morning, some guys just do it just before games and use it as a tool mm-hmm. to calm themselves before the games. Um, but I think it's really just finding what works for you, what works. Um, and basically just implementing into your routine where you can. So, yeah, some guys definitely do that. Um, and for me, it's it's massive. What's your game day routine? Get the headphones on and pump the beats? <laughs> pump the beats, man. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big I'm a big headphone guy. Pre-game, post-game, <laughs> everything, man. I've always got headphones on. So um, it's nothing crazy. I'm not too superstitious, mm-hmm. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, Special meals, game day or nah, day before? No special meals. No. I started, I used to be really bad at taking naps. This yeah. year I started taking naps occasionally and that helped when I could. Yeah. Um, so I'd go to shoot around in the morning, just make sure I get my reps in um, outside of our scout. Well, after we finish scout, make sure I get some shots up. Most guys do though. Um, then go home and I'll try and eat and then nap right away. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it works, sometimes it didn't. Um, then I'll wake up from nap, have a coffee. I have a coffee. That's That's probably the one routine. I have a coffee in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, man, just, just get the headphones on and then game day routine in terms of like warming up, ball handling, all that stuff. Um, yeah. And just slapping beats, man. Like you said, (laughs) (laughs) what's, what's the processes and systems like in terms of running sets and specific plays and things like that under Adam Ford? Is it because obviously we've seen Tajima McCall get involved on TV with, um, these discussions at timeouts mm. and quarter times and things like that. Um, and it looked very much so 50 50 player led. Yeah, I mean, a lot of his timeouts he wanted to be player led. Mm-hmm. Um, Tars was like a big voice for us in the locker room and mm-hmm. like super high IQ guy, so has the right to talk and, and say a lot of things. Same with Shannon. Shannon didn't speak as much as, as Tars, but he every time he spoke, you know, you made sure you listen. He's saying something good. Same with DJ. Um, yeah, but yeah, it was it was player led player led timeouts occasionally, but you know, forty like he's in full control the whole time. So when he's got something to say, he's gonna make sure he gets that point across. But if you know, he used to always say to us like, we're the ones out there playing, mm-hmm. so you guys can discuss amongst yourselves what you guys are seeing out there, and then he'll have his input. And it's just like a group project in the end of the day. Yeah, some big games this season: twenty points against the Kings and the Bullets, and sixteen against United. I think it was the last game of the regular season, maybe against the Kings, where you. Drop twenty on them. What's that like to find consistency across the season? Uh, yeah, it's good, man. I was I was up and down a lot at the start of the year with with minutes and and even just my performances. Um, so yeah, I think that I hit a little patch throughout the in the middle of the year. Then when Keanu went down and we played we, went, we played Adelaide on New Year's, we had that big comeback, um, and then we went and played Illawarra, and then. Um, yeah, and then we went and played Brizzy and I had 20 against Brizzy. Yeah, but I had a nice little patch there where I felt comfortable. Um, and then, yeah, finished the year with the 20 game. That was in game three mm-hmm. um, against Sydney. But, 
just feels good, man. Like just trying to feel comfortable and really find find myself in like a flow state where I'm not really thinking to make decisions, if that makes sense. Like I'm just very instinctual. Very instinctual. Yeah, things are just happening and the game's just coming to me. <clears throat> um, and pretty much all those games you mentioned, I was in that state most likely the whole game. Um, or not wow. the whole game, but yeah. majority of it. Yeah. Um, and it just yeah, it feels great. It's a hard it's a hard feeling to explain, but the game just feels easy. You're not really thinking, and, and yeah, it, w- it was good. When you're in that zone, what does it feel like and the senses around you when you feel like every bucket's just going to go in? <laughs> uh, it, it's cool, man. It's it's like it's the reason why you play the oh, at least for me, that's that's a lot of the reason why I play the game, whether it's like you're in a you're in a scoring zone or sometimes you're in a zone where like re, like re, different reads, like passes and this and that are just like feel easy and they just come in natural. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a little bit of an out-of-body experience, to be honest. I'd probably say the the best one for me was um, <clears throat> when we went to Illawarra and I had 15 in the first quarter mm-hmm. um, and then I had no points after, <laughs> after that. That was a big game. It was like first quarter. It was like, oh. Yeah, we were down. We were down in the fourth quarter. Too. I mean, in the first quarter, we were in a bit of a hole. So yep. for me, I was just like, yep. man, like this is a good opportunity for me just to go He's see. A green light play. Just yeah. give him the green light. Let him shoot. Basically, like let me just get on the rim, get a couple. Of, I got a couple easy ones early. And I just started to feel good, like broke, broke, got my second wind like pretty quick in the game, um, and everything just felt really easy, man. Everything was just opening up, um, and like you just kind of can't really see much other than mm-hmm. like you can't hear, I can't mm-hmm. hear the crowd, I can't see the crowd. Can you ever hear the crowd in games? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about when I'm in that state. When you're in that state, when you're I'm in, in that, that zone. state, like I can't see the crowd. I don't even know they're there. Like I can barely see my bench. The music. Yeah, not- I'm probably waving off 40 half the time. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that game he's trying to call a play. I'm like, nah. <laughs> but he's good, you know. He, he he's good at recognizing when a guy's hot. Like, kind of just let him just let him flow into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a yeah, it's a it's a bit of an out of body experience. Is the best way to explain it. Um, but I just feel light, man. I feel like a feather. Like you're just playing. Every shot feels great. Don't have to overthink anything. Um, and yeah, just rolling. Did you go for any NBL team growing up? Uh, not really. I've always been like a fan of even NBA. Like I don't go for a team. I've yep. always been a fan of just players, like in the way their play style is. Who's been like your favorite basketballer as a kid? Um, probably Patty. Patty. Yeah, Patty Mills. Growing up, um, I followed him a lot. Obviously, being Australian was yeah. like awesome for me to see a guy, and as especially seeing a guy that small like go to the NBA mm-hmm. and then be successful in the NBA mm. um, was, was awesome to see to see him um, but then outside of that hmm, not too many guys like I was like a South Dragons fan mm-hmm. South Dragons fan for a little South bit Dragons, yeah, yeah. Kavossi Franklin yeah <laughs> I don't know you'd be yeah, way yeah. Too, you know him yeah, yeah Joe Ingles really you know Kavossi okay yeah so Kavossi was playing he was one I think I got a Kavossi Franklin jersey yeah right still so um I was a fan of him, like, at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, he was so big back then, the South Dragons. Weren't yeah. You know who actually, who really, um, who came to the NBL, who I loved, man, was Gary Irvin. Do you remember Gary Irvin? Yeah. Maybe. He was at Wollongong. I think he won MVP of the league. Um, so he played on Brendan Joyce for a bit, did he? I can't. Maybe. I, yeah. I'd be lying if I said I knew that. Yeah. But, yeah, Gary came out. Funny thing is, I got this photo with Gary at when he was at a Wollongong game. Yep. Sorry, sorry. I was at a Melbourne game and they were playing. Wollongong was down here playing and I was able to, like, the players do the lap after the game. Yeah. And I got a photo with him then. And then I would have been maybe 12, 13. Mm-hmm. And then I reckon, like, four years later, 
I went up to Adelaide as, uh, what was that? Was that before? I don't even think it was. I'm, maybe I was 16. Yeah. And Joey got me up there to come up and just train for a little bit. Joey Wright, that Joey is. Joey Wright, yeah. Um, he, he got me up to train there for like a month, I reckon. And Gary was playing for Adelaide at the time. Joey had him. Yeah. And so it was like crazy for me to be around him and and like just see how he goes about his business. I ended up actually showing him the photo. And um, yeah, he just thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it was cool to see like he was kind of like a LeBron to me when I was playing. Mm-hmm. I mean, sorry, when I was watching him and then to kind of be in the same locker room for a, a little bit was, was pretty surreal. So Joey Wright is one of the greatest coaches mm-hmm. of all time, obviously now not coaching anymore. He's doing um, youth coaching and transition sports in yep. Adelaide. Shout out to the man. Yeah, Joey Wright, what was that like for him to give you a call up when you're like 16, 17 years old and go, hey, man, mm. come to Adelaide and we'll put in some work? Yeah, it was awesome, man. It actually started before that. So I, this is a really long story, but I'll keep it as, as short as possible. Um, when I was 13, I think, I went to a a, a camp called the Five Star Camp. Mm-hmm. It was like out at Keysborough, so here here in, um, yeah. in Melbourne. And the Five Star Camp was like an American camp that came over. It was a bunch of American coaches, high school, college. Um, and it was like five days. It was one week, all five days, Monday through Friday. And it was like 9 p.m. till 3 p.m. So like all day. I mean, sorry, sorry, 9 a.m. till 3 p.m. Yeah. Like full day for five days, which is probably unheard of these days. You wouldn't be doing that. But like for me, I was like, this is a perfect camp, sweet. Yeah. Like America, and I just wanted to experience like American basketball, American coaching, yeah. all that. So I go to that camp when I'm young. And Joey was happened to be one of the coaches. I think he was coaching the Blaze at the time. Yeah. Um, he given Gibbo, Golding, Mitch Creek, all these kinds of like mm. similar opportunities as kids too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And um, yeah, he. I was just doing like some ball handling drills, and then after the first day on the Monday, mm-hmm. he just came up to me and was like, uh, "Meet me at the gym tomorrow at six a.m." I'm You're just right. like, "Yeah, cool." So I, of course, get there six a.m. Joey's there waiting for me. Already, like, he's probably warming up himself. I don't really remember, but I think he was putting shots up himself. <laughs> but he's waiting for there for me, 6 a.m. Boom, we work out, like, 6 till 7.30. Had a little break. I think we got some more shots up, and then the camp started 9, and we go 9 till 3, the whole thing. And we did that every day from Tuesday through to Friday after that in the morning. And then um, Adonis Jordan was another coach who was there, American coach, played at Kansas, played in the NBL as well, I think, for the Magic, Southeast mm-hmm. Magic. Um, and he stayed out here. He was a coach, kind of jumped in on the workouts as well. So like now I've got like two high-level guys coaching me in the morning, and I'm 13 years old, and it was like the craziest thing ever to me. And Joey kind of just took me under his wing from that day. Um, I went up to the Blaze when I was 13 or, four, or 14, I think. <laughs> me and my brother went up there, um, and like Goulding was like the seventh man. Yeah. Uh, Gibbo was the man up there. Kiddy was a rookie. Uh, Anthony Petrie. James Harvey, there's a whole bunch of guys. Tommy Garlop, there's a whole bunch of guys up there, man. Where uh, Mark Worthington, yeah, there's a lot of guys up there. I was just watching. I, what I about mean, the luck of work though? Though you go go to like five clubs that just instinctually when he gets there, all defunct. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Werther. Werther's the man though. So yeah, and had a super successful career as an individual. So we can't we Chips can't put that on him. Yeah, but um, yeah. So I was up there around those guys, and then I just kind of stayed in contact with Joey. But again, I wouldn't say like. Yes, Joey was a massive help for me, but, you know, like, I got kind of into the NBL system at age of, what, like, 16 with, mm-hmm. with him and never and didn't play my first game until I was 25, so... It's just nine years of learning IQ and things like that. Right, so I definitely didn't get a handout from Joey or he didn't, you know, put me in a position where he's like, 
you know, this is like, I'm going to play you yeah. right now. Like even when I went to Adelaide after college as a DP under him, yeah, I didn't play a single game or a single minute, I don't think. So like I probably should, I still need to have that conversation with him and ask him why. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like I, it can see, it could, it could seem that, you know, Joey's kind of just giving me this chance and I kind of ran with it from there. But furthest from the truth, you know, and um it's just been like a, a grind and, and just working every day to try and just beat the next guy out. And it happened when I was 25. It didn't happen when I was 18, like a lot of guys, or even 20, 21. It didn't even happen then. So, um, yeah, I think it just shows. Oh, hopefully that can kind of inspire some young kids who are, or not even young kids, kids who are even just like 21, 22, like grown men, still trying to make it, um, that they, they can see my path and my blueprint, what I've done, and that, you know, you can really, you can still make it at a certain point and not only just make it, but just really carve yourself out a career and, and, and be and be a presence in the league. Yeah, absolutely. What about for someone like a Mason Gaze who's 21, 22 years old right now? I think he's uh-huh. coming into his second or third year pro with the Tigers. Mm-hmm. NBL 1 South, he's got Jack Purchase. They've got a bunch of um, former NBL experience there and obviously under Gazy. The legend. Mm-hmm. What's your what would be your advice to Mason to keep pursuing that uh, that NBL dream? I think it's just one. You you kind of got to search for like the right fit in terms of what NBL team um, mm-hmm. you would fit into, and also if your game is a certain way, that may it's more than likely that what how how you play in NBL one is not how you're going to play in the NBL. Yeah. Like for me, at it's the a big mar- step down. Yeah, well, it is a big step down, but like I go to, like you mentioned before, I go to the Marlins and up in NBL 1 North and I average 24. Yeah. I don't go to Cairns, Taipans and go, they're not expecting me to go in there and average 24. Like, if anything, they're expecting quite the opposite. Like, they're not, they didn't actually bring me in for offense. Like, my offense was a, my offense was a bonus, I think, the fact that I could shoot the ball and score the ball. Mm -hmm. And that was a factor, but for the most part, it was like, just come in and play defense. Like, come in and like, I think I had a game before um, before I played in that the NBL 22 when I was yeah. when I came in the first first game that I ever suited up and started in. I played we played Melbourne and I just um, forty was like man just go in and just pick up Delhi full court and just piss him, like just annoy him basically. So like first possession tip off boom they tip the ball off Delhi gets the ball dribble up the court and I'm just like. Just right up in his like chest. What's it man. like when you're like look looking up at Delhi or look at <laughs> looking towards him? It was cool. I mean, at the time it was it was massive, you know. Like I'm we're in the locker room before the game and like we've got the matchups on the board and it's like Delhi's name and my name like next to each other. And this is my first start in the NBL. I'm like, damn, you know, this, <laughs> this is cool. But it's big, yeah. At the same time, like I think I'm um I look at myself as as right there. Like I'm looking at those guys eye to eye. And and once you actually get out there and and then start playing. Um, like a lot of that stuff goes away and those thoughts go away but mm-hmm. it made it easy for me just having that one job of like alright just go out here it doesn't matter what happens on offense I'm just gonna go and just pester this guy the whole game pretty much like foul him if I have to do whatever and then that keeps me on the court so like going back to what you're saying like a guy like Mason or even a, a guy of that age in the NBL 1 no matter who it is I think it's just like what can I do to stay on the court in the NBL at that level mm-hmm. and it most likely is not it's not most likely it's definitely not going to be scoring the ball because they bring guys in like dj hogue and 
like Shannon Scott, did you yeah, recall? Yeah, well, that's on our team. But if you look around the league, like Bryce Cotton, Derek Walton, like all these like elite scorers, Rage on Tucker, Rage on Tucker, world class scorers, basically. Yeah, um, they're bringing those guys in to score. They're not bringing in a kid from NBA one to score. So it's like, what can I do to impact my team and and impact winning, basically? And like, once you can figure that out, then you just got to double down on it. For me, it was playing full court defense, picking up full court. And now that's the thing that now that my game is expanded into okay, yeah, I can pass, yeah, I can score, yeah, I can run a team. Like my st- a steady diet of full court defense is still what I have to do every mm-hmm. single day. Like that's now just the normal. So if I stop doing that, now there's a chance I'm out of the league. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think so. I think for those guys at that age, it's just trying to find your niche in the league and just double down on it. Whether it's rebounding, picking up full court, man, even just clapping, being a good teammate, like that might get you on a team, and then. They might see your talent from there. Who knows? Yeah. So what was it like when you finally, after nine years, eight or nine years of hard work, pursuing that NBL dream, you get that opportunity and you get that first pro contract? Mm-hmm. What was it like? Yeah, what was that feeling like inside of you? Uh, it was pretty crazy, man. It's pretty crazy. Um, I felt like I kind of – I didn't see it coming, but, like, throughout the – it was a bit of a slow burn because <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the Marlin season was happening and I was playing well and – um, I was gaining a bit of traction in terms of like the fans in Cairns, like um, starting to, um, I guess, get behind me a little bit. So I could kind of see it coming a little bit. So it was a bit of a slow burn. But I mean, until it really happens, like nothing yeah. was guaranteed. Yeah, nothing was guaranteed. But um, just huge, man. I've always been a guy who's just like, what's next? What's next? So mm-hmm. as soon as I signed that, it's like, all right, now how am I going to fit in this team? So I'm actually not great at like reflecting, like taking a second and being like, holy moly, like I've come from, this is like eight or nine years of work here in this one contract. Yeah. It's like this is the next goal. Yeah, which is a good thing and a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think I was really much of that mindset, like, man, let's just get to it and let's just keep working and how can I now be a starter one day or how can I be, well, it wasn't that right away, but it's like, all right, now how can I work to actually get on the court. Like, it's one thing to get a contract. It's another thing to actually be a player and a presence mm-hmm. and affect a game and affect winning. So uh, my mindset just went straight to that. Like, how can I – what am I going to do now, basically? What's next? Absolutely. Ben, best of luck for the NBL 1 South season and best of luck for one, securing that contract for NBL 24. We can't wait to uh, see you out on the court, hopefully, uh, here in Melbourne. Thank you, my man. And thanks for having me, Maxi. Thanks, Ben. Stay tuned, everyone, for no, some more fine. Sporting Max. We'll see you soon. This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEM.